if I'm going to play 9-7 of clubs and I flop a flush draw and a gut shot straight draw, that's really what I'm looking for. I would a continuation bet. So I'm a little bit worried about what the limper does. I think just limping behind is, is okay too. I don't really worry about pocket control so much when we flop a huge draw. And the problem is, is that a lot of these rivers will result in you not getting paid. Well, greetings, everybody, and welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Fredland. We are officially sponsored by Running Aces Casino and Racetrack. And the partners who are contributing to this week's episode include the Poker is Fun Tour and PokerCoaching.com. All right, a couple quick announcements. Uh, Just a reminder, if you are out in podcast world, we'd love to have you subscribe to the podcast. We'd also love to have you rate it and leave a comment. And these sorts of things are super helpful as we grow, so I would love to have you take the time to do that for us. That's much appreciated. And also, if you have any other feedback, topic suggestions, hand situations, reach out to me on Facebook, Twitter, or email me at stevefredland at gmail.com. All right, today we're going to break down a hand situation from a recreational player, Jason Ackerman. And then as we uh, get through that, at the very end, we also had a late submission about tilt control, which is what we talked about on last week's episode. Uh, But it was a very good contribution from Derek Smith that came in a little bit late to be able to include in uh, last week's podcast. So I'm going to have that at the end of the podcast after we wrap up talking about Jason's hand. So let's take a quick word from our sponsor, and then we'll come back with that situation. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack has the best poker room in Minnesota. Featuring 24-7 promos on all cash poker games, including earning $2 per hour in comps, plus the most player-friendly tourney structures. Visit RunAces.com for daily promotions and the tournament calendar. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack, the official sponsor of Rec Poker. So here's a situation that Jason described. He said, uh, we're a couple hours into the tournament. The average chip stack is about 23000 and I have 35000 I believe blinds are at 400, 800. There's one limper, and we are on the button, and we raise to 2,000. Uh, so we go to about 2.5x with 9.7 of clubs. The big blind has 14,000 behind. The limper calls and is big stack for about 80,000 chips, and they are a very aggressive player. The flop comes 10 of clubs, 5 of clubs, 6 of diamonds. And reminder, we have the 9-7 of clubs. So at this point, we have uh, a flush draw and we have a gut shot straight draw. So it checks to us. And uh, for pot control, we elect to check back, even though we do have the gut shot and the flush draw. The turn brings the three of hearts. So we now have a double belly buster straight draw and a flush draw. So any eight or any four uh, gets us there. The big blind bets 4,000, and the aggressive player raises to 10,000. Now I plan to snap call the 4,000. I figure I have 15 outs to win the pot. I ask the dealer if I call the 10,000, which would leave me with about 23,000, and if the big blind re-raises all in, can the big stack re-raise again? The dealer counts the big blind chips, and he has less than the raise count and says no, but then thinks about it and says yes. Someone says if it's more than half the raise, the raiser can re-raise again. 
I ask again because I'm considering calling the 10,000, but don't really want to call all in on a draw. The aggressive player says, yes, I can. So I get the feeling he may have the straight already or two pair or at least a strong hand already. He has shown quite a few made hands with small connectors. I don't know what the ruling is and don't have a clear answer from the dealer and elect to muck. I know I don't have the best hand now, but I'm somewhere between 30 to 50% chance of having the best hand after the river. Should I have flat called, raised all in, or folded? And also, what is the ruling of the bet of 4K, raise 6K more to 10K, and if the better shoves for 4K more in his re-raise, which is two-thirds of the most recent re-raise, can the raiser raise again? I elect to fold and keep my 32,000. Okay, well, first of all, there's a lot of uh, a lot of stuff going on there, so uh, we're going to have all of the uh, details of this. What I just read is going to be in the show notes uh, if you got a podcast, or it'll also be on Facebook as well. So you can kind of reread through that and make sure that you have the information you need. So in terms of uh, my thoughts, and then we'll turn it over. Uh, first of all, I like the preflop raise for sure, uh, except with the limper ahead, I probably go more to about 2,800. Normally, I like to go about 2.5x plus one big for every limper, so I probably make it around 3.5x here. I'm not sure if that would have changed anything. Uh, it's a little loose for me to be putting in 15% of my stock, my stack preflop with a speculative hand, but it does seem to be a pretty good spot. Uh, but uh, as we've talked about before, those speculative hands like suited connectors, suited gappers, small pocket pairs tend to decrease in value as the tournaments get deeper because you don't have the same implied odds that you would earlier in a tournament. But either way, with a limper, uh, I don't think it's a bad spot here to put in a raise. Uh, I just would probably do a little bit more. Secondly, with about 8400 in the pot and about 19.5 behind, I would be tempted to ship that flop, just go all in. Um, I, I wouldn't bet, so either a check or a shove for me. So I don't think your check is bad, but I would probably take a shot at getting to 28000 if everybody folds. Uh, here, because you raise preflop, even though you're on the button, you can still rep an overpair here. Uh, and if you get called, you do have a ton of outs. If they are on a bigger flush draw, then you still have the straight outs, plus your 9 and 7 are both live. Uh, if they are, have a made hand, then you have the straight and the flush outs. Um, I think you're going to get rid of a lot of uh, jack 10, queen 10, king 10 here, uh, as you are definitely repping a better hand. Plus, you'll get rid of a lot of other, other hands that just called you preflop as well. But as it was played, we go to the turn, and I would probably fold like you did here. But uh, as to the question, the big blind bet 4K with 10K behind, which looks super strong, and then the big stack raised to 10K, which is a raise of 6K. If you call 10K and the big blind shoves for a total of 14K, that's a re-raise of 4K when the prior raise was 6K. And this is not a raise in no limit hold'em. This is a call and extra situation per the TDA rules. The only options for the big stack here would be to fold or to call the additional 4K giving you the same option. So the dealer had the right ruling initially, then they changed it, and frankly, you should have just called the floor over to make sure that you got the exact uh, ruling. But uh, for that to constitute a re-raise, it has to be the full amount when you're playing no limit hold'em. The 50% rule only applies to limit hold'em in all situations, and it also applies when it was a mistake. So for example, if somebody, uh, if it was 4,000, then 10,000, and somebody who had a big stack put in say 14,000, 
that would be a raise because it's more than 50% of that 6,000 raise amount. And so they would be uh, required to put in a raise to 16,000. But that's just in a mistake situation. If it's an all-in situation, it has to be a full-size raise to reopen the action. So the ruling was wrong, and so I'm not sure how that would have changed things for you, uh, but it, 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 uh, it, they could not have reopened the pot. So as it was played, I would fold, but I would have either folded pre-flop, uh, even though it's a good steal situation, it's such a big chunk of my, my stack, and uh, and I don't like suited connectors as much late in tournaments, but, um, but you could have also limped it. Uh, that's another option as well. Uh, ultimately, if I played it, um, I would have taken a more aggressive approach. If I'm going to play 9-7 of clubs, and I flop a flush draw and a gut shot straight draw, that's really what I'm looking for. Uh, I'm looking for something that I can continue my aggression with. They both check to me, so I think it's a it's a good opportunity uh, to just get it in there uh, pretty aggressively and hope I don't get called. And if I do, uh, I've got a ton of outs for probably uh, the best hand. So uh, it's a tough spot, tough decision there, uh, but that's the direction that I would have taken. Uh, as played, I probably just fold like you did as well. If I'm going to check to the turn, I only have one card to come. I might be drawing a lot thinner than I thought. Um, so I probably just fold on the turn there uh, like you did as well. So with that, uh, let me turn this over. We received some audio submissions from Chris Gorton, Taylor Moss, and Matt Hamilton. So I would likely have folded the 9-7 suited or maybe limped as well if I figured the blinds are not aggressive. If I had raised pre-flop, I would have continuation bet, and if re-raised, folded, but if just called, then probably just check the turn if checked to me at that point. If bet and raise in front of me at that point, I'd likely fold. If just a normal raise, then call and see the last card. If hit a straight or flush, bet or re-raise. If pair, just call unless an all-in or bet and re-raise in front of me, then I'd fold as well. I am interested to hear what others suggest. Thanks for listening, and Steve, thanks for putting this all together. Greetings, Rec Poker fans. This is Taylor Moss. This week we're talking about a hand where we raise from the button, get a call, and then are deciding what to do on the flop. Uh, so the tournament situation is we have about 35,000 in chips. The blinds are 400, 800, so if we equate that to a stack, we have just over a 40 big blind stack. Uh, the action, we have a limper to us, and we're on the button. Uh, so first, I think I can write a book about punishing limpers. Uh, the problem is I don't have time to write it, no one would read it, and no one would buy it. So I won't write the book, but I'll give you quick insights of how to punish limpers. And the first mistake here is raising to 2,000. This is way too small of a raise. We're making it two and a half big blinds after a limper is in there. Uh, so in terms of the size of the pot, it's not that big. It entices the big blind to call us, and it also entice, entices the limper to call us. So what we're essentially doing here is inflating the size of the pot without getting anyone out of the hand. And that's the opposite of what we want to do. We either want to limp behind, which I never say to limp, but this is a situation where we can limp, knowing that we're not gonna get the opponent out of the hand, and by raising small like this, it's not accomplishing much. 
What I would prefer doing is, if we want to play this 9-7 of clubs, raise much bigger. So the normal raise size would be to 2,000, but we should probably add uh, a big blind for every limper that we see, which makes it a minimum of 2,800. And given our opponent and the stack size he has, I'm not opposed to raising even higher, given that we have a speculative hand of 9-7 of clubs. Uh, we want to get this player out of the hand because what we're trying to do is win it right here and now. So, of all the options, I think raising small is the worst. Raising bigger is better. Calling is alright. And folding is even alright. We only have 9-7 of clubs. It's not that great of a hand. We can fold and wait for a different opportunity. Uh, but I think raising to 2,000 is a very passive play. After we raise to 2,000, the big blind calls and the limper calls. He's a big stack and a very aggressive player. So with that, that kind of concerns me about his limp. He open limped, he has a big stack, and he's a very aggressive player. So what is he really limping with? The most likely options are either he has a monster, which if he hasn't been limping before and all of a sudden he limps, that might be a sign that we might be in trouble. Or he has a small pocket pair, which a lot of players tend to do is limp with small pocket pairs, trying to see a cheap flop and see if they can flop a set. So I'm a little bit worried about what the limper does. Well, the flop comes 10 of clubs, five of clubs, six of diamonds. So we get a gut shot straight draw and we have a flush draw and it checks to us. So, we elect to check. I don't like it, I really don't. We have all these outs, and if we win the hand here, are we really that upset that we just took down a 6K pot? I don't think so. So I wanna lead out, and I'm gonna bet a decent amount with the 6K pot, I'm probably betting three and a half K, something in that range, and trying to get someone to fold and if they get if they raise me we do have the option to re-raise knowing that we have a lot of outs even against a flopped set say they have sixes here we have i believe about a 33 percent chance to win so we do have a decent decent equity if we do get called after we go all in now that's not the action i would like to see but it could happen we need to be prepared for that um, but we don't know exactly how this would play out, but the turn does give us some information of how a flop bet would have played out. So instead we check. The tur turn brings the three of hearts, so we have a double gut shot as well as the flush draw. Now the big blind bets out for 4,000, which seems odd. Usually they only make this play if they have a hand. And then the aggressive player raises to 10,000. So now we're in a tricky spot. What would that aggressive player be re-raising to? And what would they have? Do they have an overpair? Do they have a flop set? At this point, I know I was talking about shoving on the flop with the straight and flush draws, but there's one card to come and we could be drawing very thin. They may have a higher flush draw than us and we really need to hit a straight. They might have a straight already made, that big blind, you never know what they have. Or they could have a set and a lot of our flush outs are counterfeited with his full house outs. So all in all, I think after this, 
you fold. I know there's a lot of confusion about can they raise after you call and stuff like that, but I think I just give it up. There's two people showing aggression now. We had our chance on the flop to be the aggressor, and we lost it. We gave up that option to someone else. They took over for us, and now I think we need to give up the hand. So with this hand, I believe we made a lot of mistakes, and a lot of it came down to how aggressive we could be. We needed to be more aggressive pre-flop. If we're going to raise, we have to raise bigger. We have to make it tough for the limper and the big blind to call and see a flop. Likewise, on the flop, we get a flop that hits our hand. We have a lot of outs after this, but we check back. We give up the uh, aggression in the hand to someone else, and then the turn, they take it away from us and show that aggression. So we don't know what our opponents had, but I think we have to give them some sort of credit with the bet and raise on the turn. Hey, this is Matt Hamilton, and this is my recording for Jason's Hand for the Rec Poker Podcast. So just to um, quickly go over the details here, Jason is 35,000, blinds are 4 and 800, uh, one limper uh, on the button. Um, so we decided to raise to 2,000 with 9-7 of clubs, and the big blind calls, um, and the limper calls. So I'm going to make a quick note here and say I think um, the raise is somewhat questionable. So you said the limper has 80,000 and is a very aggressive player. Uh, with those two things in mind, I think calling um, the limp on the button, so just limping behind, makes a lot of sense. Um, the problem with raising an, a, you know, a very aggressive player is he can limp raise. So, you know, I don't know, you know, obviously at this point we don't have a lot of information. Maybe he's never limp raised. Maybe every time he limps, um, he's never gonna, he's never gonna come back and, and, and three bet. So, you know, maybe the raise is okay. But also I would say that a hand like nine, seven of clubs, um, is, is a little dicey, um, in general. I think it's okay to fold this hand pre-flop, but, you know, when you're facing a limp, I think just limping behind is, is okay too. Obviously, if, if it was folded to you, uh, a raise is, is great with this hand, uh, from the button. But, but when a big step, big stack limps in front of you, um, I think limping behind on the button with this hand is is perfectly reasonable. I do see merit for raising, but not against an aggressive player with a huge stack, to be honest. So anyway, um, and keep in mind, you raise here to 2,000 and the blinds are four and 800. I think that's a pretty uh, pretty small raise size to decide to, to make here. Um, you raised uh, under, under 2.5x, um, and that's with a limp in front of you. So generally, I like to um, I like to bump it up to to 3.5, uh, maybe 4x when there's a limp or multiple limp limpers. Um, I think at least 3x. Um, so I think going to at least 2400 um, facing a limp if you want to raise, because um, otherwise. You know, 2,000, what does that really accomplish? Um, I don't think it, comp it accomplishes much there. Uh, so anyway, um, 
you raised to 2,000, big blind calls, has 14,000 behind, limper calls, and you see that flop. Um, I love the check back on the flop. I really love it. Um, I think a lot of people will continuation bet this flop. Uh, nine, seven of clubs on a 10, five, six, two club board. I think a lot of players will, will continuation bet this, but I think, um, honestly, I, I prefer the check back because you really hate to, to lead out here. Um, continuation bet this flop and, and get check raised by, by a hand like, you know, five, six or five, five or six, six um that that's looking to check raise that flop uh i love the check the check back on the flop give us give us a free turn card um, um i think that's great so we check back and the turn is the three of hearts and it brings you the the double belly buster okay so this is where the interesting part comes in big blind bets four thousand aggressive player raises to ten thousand um so i think it's really wise of you to to ask um about the scenario being that the you know the the big blind is only going to have um is only going to have 4000 behind um when he um so so after so okay so big blind leads for 4k has 14000 in total behind um, aggressive player raises the 10k, which is a raise of 6,000, and then the big blind's gonna have uh, 4,000 on top of that um, to to um, for his all in. So uh, I like that Jason here call or, or asked for clarification. However, what I would say is um, when the dealer kind of flip flopped like this, so so he mentions the dealer initially counts the the chips. And, and says, no, it doesn't reopen the betting. Uh, but then after some, a different player at the table uh, says, well, what about uh, if, it's, if it's over half the raise size, does it reopen? Then the, then, the, then the dealer goes back and says, oh, yes, it does reopen. At this point, call the floor. Just call the floor right away. Because clearly the dealer is not sure either way. Um, and you don't want to get involved in a huge pot and a huge spot and, and you're not sure of what the correct ruling is. So bring the floor over. There's no harm in that. Um, and, and get a correct ruling, uh, hopefully a correct ruling. Um, get the final decision anyway. Once the floor makes the decision, that's the decision, regardless of what the correct ruling is. Uh, so bring the floor over. No, no shame in that. Get the correct ruling. Make your decision from there. Because I think it's important to know. Um... Because, yeah, once uh, I, I think you calling behind um, makes a lot of sense, uh, you know, given your, your implied odds, uh, you, you, get, you got a flush draw, you got a double belly buster, you can be pretty certain your flush draw is good. Otherwise, the aggressive players probably not going to be raising with a bigger flush draw. That wouldn't make much sense. So you can assume your flush draw is good. You can assume your straight draws are good. Um, I like calling the 10,000. Um, with the assumption that if the big blind's going with it, you're going to call 4,000 more on top um, and get the correct ruling. So, uh, you know, as far as the correct ruling goes, um, you know, Steve, in your email, you mentioned that um, as far as you're, you're aware, the, the ruling was incorrect. Um, and that is true. But honestly, it's not, not even really a ruling. 
you know, the dealer just, just kind of said something and then said, oh, wait, nope. Um, so really, just bring the floor over, get, a, get a, an official ruling, um, and, uh, and, and you can rest a little bit easier. So that being said, um, th- what the dealer was getting mixed up with and what, what the player at the table was getting mu- mixed up with was, was this idea of a, of a, of a raise 50% or more. So the, the, the only rule here is that, um, you know, if a player throws out a raise, uh, let's say, let's say the, um, uh, you know, someone bets, um, a thousand and a player throws out, um, uh, 1600 or 1500, you know, if it's 50% or more of a bet, it has to be a raise. Um, so he would have to throw out 2000. So maybe that's what the dealer was getting confused with in this situation. Um, it does not reopen the betting. Uh, the all in would have to be a full raise in order for it to reopen the betting to the to the raiser, um, which would be the aggressive opponent, um, it would have to be a, a full a full bet. So, so yeah. In conclusion, uh, I think the biggest takeaway from this hand is if you're ever unsure of a situation, you you're not sure what the correct ruling is. Um, don't just ask the dealer, because um, you know while there are great dealers out there, and they're you know dealers generally know a lot more about the rules than the players um, in a lot of cases. Um, not all dealers will know every rule. Like that's a lot to, to keep in mind. Um, so just call the floor, you know, um, especially in a situation like this where it's important and the dealer just flip flopped, um, you know, just changed his mind so quickly like that. So yeah, bring the floor. Um, that's, that's a good lesson to learn here. And, and once the floor comes, hopefully makes the right decision says the betting is not reopened. You can call the 10,000 correctly, in my opinion, uh, and see a river. So that's that's my thoughts for this end. Okay, with that, uh, let's take a quick break, and then we'll hear from our experts. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack has the best poker room in Minnesota, featuring 24-7 promos on all cash poker games, including earning $2 per hour in comps, plus the most player-friendly tourney structures. Visit runaces.com for daily promotions and the tournament calendar. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack, the official sponsor of Rec Poker. He's won a million dollars! Hi, this is Mike Schneider, founder of the Poker is Fun Tour, which you can find at piftpoker.com, and also a member of the Minnesota Poker Hall of Fame and full-time limit poker player and also part-time no-limit tournament poker player. So hi Jason here. I just want to quickly address the the ruling of this hand and starting off you you really shouldn't just make a decision to fall just because of the ambiguity of the ruling. Like in this scenario, I feel like you'd be perfectly within your rights to ask for a floor to come over and clarify what exactly will be allowed to happen if you call. Just cuz like that information's pretty important here like if we're going with our read of that we think that the limper has a pretty strong hand we're pretty happy to call a 10,000 but we don't want to end up having to put our full 35,000 in so I mean yeah like if the ruling should have been that there was no would be no option for the under the gun limper to re-raise if the big blind goes all in so yeah like if the dealer seems uncertain or if you don't think it's going to be the right ruling for sure, just 
completely 100% ask for a Florida come over to clarify what, what can happen here if you were to cold call. So as for the hand plate itself, I personally am not a fan of checking behind on this flop with three opponents in and just the they're already being a good, looks like, eight or 9,000 in the middle of the pot, depending on what the antes were and whatnot. Uh, I, I think given our stack size sitting with 33,000 left, I, I would like to fire a bet on the flop. It doesn't even have to be large. It could be 2,500, 3,000, somewhere in that range. Just the reason is if we take it down right there, that's fantastic. That adds a lot of chips to our chip stack. And moreover, uh, we flopped a huge draw. I don't really worry about pot control so much when we flop a huge draw. Like, uh, I mean, unless he, unless an opponent literally has a hand like uh, eight, six of clubs would probably be the worst scenario for us. Or even then, we still have a live flush draw. So we'll say maybe like ace, six of clubs where they block our flush draw. They have a pair already. Like, we're still in pretty good shape against them. So... When I, I play these these kind of hands, even though, yes, it is only a few hours into the tournament, I, I look at them at the same way as if I get aces dealt to me preflop. I'm happy to get aces dealt in, or get all, aces all in preflop. So this same spot here where we have almost always flopped 12 outs, sometimes 15 outs, sometimes 18 outs, depending on if they have a pair of fives or sixes or anything like that. I'm just simply with two cards to come. I'm I'm happy to bet, and if somebody raises, I'll just shove all in probably right there. You might get them to fold a ten. You might get them to fold if they had check raise with pocket nines or something like that. You and if they if they raise you and then fold your all in, you just want even more chips. And even if they call, you should be almost always at least fifty fifty against them. There's only gonna be I mean if they flopped a set or. If, they, they have one of those ace six club type hands. Those are about the only ways that you aren't going to be close to a coin flip against them. So, yeah, I I would definitely uh, strongly advise that you should be betting on this flop. Like if you had, say, nine, seven of diamonds where you flopped a gut shot and a backdoor flush draw, that's the kind of flop we're here with three other guys in the pot. Now, now we might want to check it back because... We'd love to see a turn card with three players in. There's a solid chance somebody's going to call our bet. And I say solid, not 100%. We definitely can get three folds on this flop if we bet. But 9-7 of diamonds is more the kind of hand where you would think about knuckling back on this flop. Just since you'd like to see a turn card where you might turn a diamond, you might hit an 8, and then nobody nobody's gonna really put you on a straight so you may end up getting somebody to stack off a top pair thinking that they're you're trying to push them around so then uh back to how we did play it now on this turn here with uh this ruling in play i mean assuming that it is in fact true that our under the gun limper can re-raise uh, a raise and assuming that your career, your read is correct that the under-the-gun player does in fact have a huge hand, I think your fold is fine. I I think, though, the thing is we have to be pretty confident that your read about him having a huge hand is correct. If we aren't that confident about it, I would probably, again, just shove all in because there's a lot of chips in the pot in 
under the gun player, like uh, it's going to be pretty tough for him to call just a 10. Although the way how you described him, I, I think there is a pretty good chance he will call with just a 10. But I, again, still think with all those outs, he doesn't, all these players don't have to fold a hand that often to make an all-in shove a positive expectation move. Didn't really, I took, looked at this hand as if I was playing it in the moment, so I didn't run any kind of calculations on it. But I have ran calculations, and especially pre-flop too, but pre-flop and post-flop scenarios about what fold equity does to change change how good or bad an all-in shove is. And my gut instinct says here they the opponents don't have to fold the hand, their hands too often to make a all-in shove correct here. So even the percent of the times that you get a call here, you're making up your equity back. All those other times you get a fold, and then when you get called and you still have a, a, a ton of outs to make your hand, it just seems like the correct play to me on the turn, as long as we aren't 100% confident under the gun is only doing this with the monster. I mean, if it, it has played, and if our read is he can only have a monster, I think folding is perfectly reasonable. But had we got a ruling that said he can't re-raise, I would say 100% cold call that 10,000 given given our read of he has a lot of strength because we would love to catch a river card where we can then get our last 25,000 in the middle and he's going to call because he has a huge hand and now, now we just vaulted up into a monster chip stack range and that's a, that's a good place to be in in this stage of the tournament. Yeah, that's uh, about all I've got. And uh, just one other little aside, uh, I'm going to be this winter, I'm hoping to maybe take on a couple of students that, in terms of a poker coaching role. If that is something that might interest you, I mean, it could be for limit games like Hold'em, Stud 8, Omaha 8 or better, a little bit of Raz or Big O, or also No Limit Tournament play. Uh and that's something that might interest you. I'm looking pretty open-ended here, like looking on a case-by-case basis of evaluating what students might want from me, how often, like whether we're doing email, Skype, meeting in person, etc. I'm just going to try to cater it to what each individual person is hoping to get out of it and what their expectations are of me and where their focuses are to be able to come up with what a hourly price or what kind of package plan they might do. But anyway, if you want, if you have any interest in that, you feel free to reach out to me at Schneid's Poker on Twitter. That's S-C-H-N-E-I-D-S Poker. So yeah, until uh, next time, this is Mike Schneider of the Poker is Fun Tour. People are like, are you little? Because your name says you're little. I say, no, I'm not little. So here we're going to review a hand by Jason. So here we have... 35,000 chips. You mentioned the average chip stack is 23,000, but I think that's generally somewhat irrelevant because most people don't have the average chip stack. Anyway, 30 big blind average stacks, you have 40. You believe the blinds are 400, 800. Well, it's important to know what the blinds are. Anyway, one person limps. We would like to know the limper's position. You raise to 2,000 with 9.7 of clubs. So I think, first off, your raise size is way too small here. When you make it 2,000, very often the players in the blinds, or at least the big blind, will call because it's only 1,200 more. And also the initial limper is going to call every time. So what you're doing is you are making the pot bigger with a hand that is very likely behind. 
So why do you want to play a bigger pot behind? Now, obviously, you're in position. You're going to realize more of your equity. But even then, it's not like you're going to crush your opponents in this scenario. So I definitely would have raised bigger if I'm going to raise, um, probably to about 3,000 or so. Typically, you want to go about a pot size raise or a little bit less. A pot size raise here would be to about 3,600, 4.5 big blinds. So um, you see your 2,000 is just very, very, very tiny. Whenever you're picking your bet sizes in general, you always want to ask, what am I trying to accomplish here? And you certainly don't want to get called by everyone when we're playing somewhat shallow stacked poker with a hand that is likely behind. Anyway, big blind calls with 14,000 behind, which is certainly very relevant. The limper, a big stack, and a very aggressive player, I guess, calls as well. Um, I would definitely not raise a very aggressive player because if you raise his limp, he's very likely to re-raise. That said, his position matters and also how often he's limping matters. Because if he's limping a bunch of hands, I don't really know if you want to call him a very aggressive player, right? Aggressive players are applying aggression and limping is not applying aggression. So maybe if this player's never limped, then alarm bells would be going off in my head and I would just call. If I think this guy's going to limp re-raise, I would also just call. So it's okay to call on the button with hands that flop well because then you're playing a small pot in position, which is much better than playing a big pot in position with an equity disadvantage. Anyway, flop comes. 10, 6, 5, giving you a flush draw and a gut shot. Checks to you. You like to check for pot control. And I don't really think this is what pot control means. Pot control means checking behind with a likely good made hand so that we don't face significant aggression. Here, we don't have a good made hand. We have a draw. And with your draws, you want your opponents to fold out whatever equity they have a lot of the time. Like, imagine someone sitting in this pot with King Jack and the other player has Ace-9. If you bet and they fold, that's fantastic. If someone does decide to make you play for all of your money, you're going to have to do that because you have a very good draw, right? You probably have 40-something percent equity. And that's okay. That's what that's, that's the spot you got yourself in by raising over the limper. Um, clearly, if you bet, let's say, 3,500 on the flop and the 14,000 stack big blind shoves, you have a really easy call. And if the very aggressive player raises, let's say, I don't know, 6,000 or 8,000, whatever, uh, you can then shove with a little bit of fold equity. So I think betting leads to a lot of good scenarios. And also betting will allow you to play a bigger pot when you happen to get there and also allow you to bluff, especially when the turn something like an ace or a king or a queen or a jack, right? Because all those cards should look scary to a lot of the marginal made hands on the flop. So um, in general, with your draws, you're almost always going to want to bet, especially if your draws don't have showdown value. All right, turns the three of hearts, which is... Uh, it's okay. It gives you an additional an additional four for a straight. So big blind bets 4,000. Aggressive player raises to 10,000. So... You plan to call the 4K, which I think is fine, although I maybe would have gone all in over the 4K. You say you figure you have 15 outs to win the pot. Well, that's nine for your flush, and then six for your straight, which is 15. Problem is, is that maybe your flush draw is not good, right? You always want to keep that in mind. And if your flush draw is not good, it also, uh, it just really, really decreases your equity. So you ask the dealer if you call the 10K, which would leave you 23,000 behind, if the big blind could re-raise, can the big stack re-raise? Well, it depends on the rules for your casino. And it's very important to understand the rules of where you're playing. It's very important to understand the game you're playing, and you also need to understand the rules of the game. I wrote a blog post about this a while back at jonathanlittlepoker.com discussing a few you know, lesser unknown rules, or, or lesser known rules, and this is one of them, and it varies casino by casino, and if you're playing somewhere, you need to know the rules of the game, and if you're not, you're making some huge error. 
Because right here, it could very easily cost you. Imagine you call, and then the guy can raise and then reopen the action. Well, then that's kind of a disaster, right? Um, or if he shoves, it reopens the action. That's that's not good for you because you really don't want to play for all of your money. But in, in this scenario, I don't think it really matters that much. And I think you have a pretty easy fold because you effectively are playing for all of your money. If you had to put in 10000 to call and see the turn, knowing you're never getting raised, even then you're not loving it because you don't really have a good opportunity to win this pot on the river because very often the aggressive player is just going to bet again and make you fold out your hand. So um, you ask the dealer what the rule is, and that's another mistake. Do not assume the dealer knows the rules, which is a little bit a little bit unnerving, but you should get the floor man over there and ask because the floor man, in theory, is the person who knows the rules. And if you ask a floor man what the rule is, and everyone generally agrees with it whenever the floor man says something, if he's wrong and they call over another floor man, usually they won't turn over that ruling because, um, you know, that floor man told you that and you're supposed to be able to assume the floor men know what they're talking about. Very rarely do rulings get overturned if the table agrees with them. Now, the table may throw up a stink whenever he says, yeah, he can re-raise or yeah, he can call, but then they'll call over the real floor man and then you'll get a final decision and that'll be that. I know it's a little bit of a pain, but that's the price you have to pay for not knowing the rules of the game. All right. You say you don't have a clear answer from the dealer. Well, again, don't ask the dealer. And also, it's very, very important to get an answer from someone whose answer matters. It's like asking the people at the table, oh, can I re-raise here? And, I mean, they're not going to tell you, right? And they don't even know. Realize most people don't know what they're talking about. It's very, very important. All right. You know you don't have the best hand, but you're somewhere between 30% and 50% of having the best hand after the river. Um, I don't know how you think you're 50% to have the best hand after the river because you you don't have anywhere near 50% equity. You definitely want to realize how much equity you have. Even using you know basic rule of two and four, which will leave you with a wrong answer, but a close enough answer, here you're going to have about 30% equity going to the river. And the problem is, is that a lot of these rivers will result in you not getting paid. Like if the straight draws come in, it's kind of scary given all those straight cards on the board. And if the flush card comes in, if your opponent's sitting there with like ace-10, he's probably not going to pay you either. So it's a pretty rough spot. And and you ask if what, what you really should have done here. And I, I would have just folded because it's too likely you're against a strong made hand or you're against a better draw. If you thought the player who made it 10k would ever fold to your 22,000 or $21,000 end members just 11,000 more, then sure, you should shove every time because if he's ever folding, that's just a huge success. But he's probably not going to fold very often and he's going to call with his ace-10 or whatever he has and then you're just going to be behind. So do you want to put all your money in behind? The answer is no. Do you want to put half your money in decently far behind and not have great implied odds? Although, you know, you're getting paid a lot of the time, but not always. And I think the answer again to that is no. So you have a pretty easy fold. On the turn, if instead the big blind bet 4,000 and the aggressive player uh, called 4,000, I would have gone all in, most likely. If you think the big blind's going to fold, notice he would have 8,000 behind, I think, which is some amount of fold equity, not a ton. But the thing is there, if you shove and get called by the big blind and the aggressive player folds, then you're getting roughly break-even pot odds anyway. And uh, you do have fold equity in that spot. So that's what I would have done if it was a bet and a call. I would not have called behind a lot of the time unless I thought for sure I'm getting called every time and I don't have fold equity. That's kind of what you need to be thinking about. You don't want to necessarily be thinking, oh, I have a draw, so I'm going to call. You want to think, if I raise, will I make my opponents fold out a lot of better hands? And clearly, whatever they fold in this spot is going to be better than yours. So 
very often with draws that don't have a lot of implied odds and are barely getting the right price, you're going to want to look for a different way to play those hands. So that's it. This is Jonathan Little. Check out my site at pokercoaching.com. All right. Well, thanks to everybody who contributed to this episode. Thank you, Jason Ackerman, for for, uh, contributing that hand situation. It's always tricky, isn't it? Uh, I'm going to close off here, but then a reminder that after this, we are going to play the audio from Derek Smith, who had a late submission talking about tilt control. So uh, when I'm done speaking, we'll just hear from Derek, and then uh, then that'll be over. Uh, But just a couple of things here. Um, Reminder, please, subscribe to the podcast. If you haven't yet, rate the podcast and leave a comment. uh, All truthful, please. Uh, But all of those things are super helpful as we grow. It helps helps it get promoted a little bit more fully the more... uh, the more engagement we have from our listeners. So we'd love to have that. We know that our listenership continues to grow, uh, but we'd love to see it kind of uh, uh, flow through those ratings and comments. You can do that right on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Also, any other feedback, topic suggestions, hand situations, send to me an email, stevefredland at gmail.com, or throw it on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, and so with that, let's hear um, a follow-up from last week's episode on Tilt Control from Derek Smith, and then uh, we'll wrap up. Thank you all. Hey, this is Derek Smith, Direct Poker Podcast, and regarding tilt control, um, I think I might have a little bit of a unique sort of spin on this, and I'm by no means an expert, and for the first uh, half dozen years of playing poker, I was a complete spaz at the table, and uh, just terrible all in all, dealing with bad beats and the like. Um, and though my feedback is probably not groundbreaking, I, again, I do think I have a um, a somewhat interesting sort of comparison um, to help back up what I think is the best way to deal with, tilt con- uh, with bad beats and just staying on staying in control and not letting tilt affect your game. Um, th- again, this isn't going to be groundbreaking, but I've found that dealing with bad beats and keeping in control and not letting tilt take over is just something that gradually happens by playing more and more. The more you see things, the more that what you see isn't new, uh, the more situations you've dealt with, the more equipped you are to deal with them. Um, and and I realize for newer players, that's not the best advice because they want a simple ABC sort of answer to how to deal with it. Um, so you can do breathing exercises and you can start doing yoga and meditation you can try all these different things but honestly in my opinion you just have to keep playing and playing and over time those things that used to set you off are just yeah whatever it's happened a lot before and so for the casual rec everyday player i think when you put in enough time and volume you'll find that over time that the things that really ticked you off previously just really won't anymore. And so uh, the sort of what I thought the comparison or the unique spin is, um, I am a musician as well uh, as a poker player and a dad and a, um, a creative director at work and things like that. But a part of playing music is performing and being live in front of people. And for the first five years of playing uh, locally live, hundreds of shows, I had, um, I experienced a ton of stage fright. I, I play guitar and sing, and I, at some points, would be so incredibly nervous that I could hardly 
get on stage, let alone, uh, you know, control myself from shaking and things like that. And generally, particularly in my early 20s, the way to deal with that would be a, a heavy amount of alcohol before the shows and things would work out okay and we'd have fun and everything would be okay. However, um, that still was just sort of masking what was stage fright. And what I found, which is similar to poker, was one day I maybe five, six, seven years into playing shows. One day I went to play a show and I was getting ready up on stage, getting everything ready for the sound check. And I just didn't feel nervous that day. And I I don't know how to explain that. But from that day forward, I've never really felt nervous about playing live. And I, I, I don't think that I've, you know, so greatly improved in my musicianship to not warrant being nervous. I don't think I'm anything amazing or special. I just think I've played enough shows to have that feeling of (laughs) complete terror sort of go away. And so in a somewhat uh, similar comparison, um, I think that's kind of what happens with poker is you play enough times, and it, it doesn't really have to do with being nervous about playing, but the comparison being more you've played enough times, you've experienced enough things that eventually you've seen it all. And so nothing is new and nothing really shocks you anymore. And that's kind of the way it went for me with poker too. I went from being just terrible at dealing with bad beats, um, awful with tilt control. And at some point in time, I, I've played in a league for about 12 years. I, one of the seasons I just, I took a terrible beat early in a season and I just kind of got up and left the table and was completely shocked with myself as I drove away that I wasn't berating myself or in my mind mad at the other player for the quote-unquote bad play they made. Um, it just it just was what it was. And moving forward now, it just is what it is. I certainly don't like to take a bad beat. Uh, I certainly like to get it in with the best and like it to hold. But when it doesn't, it doesn't. And shrug my shoulders and move on. And I, I think that you can learn a lot from situations even where you lose so um so that's kind of my take it's somewhat unique maybe just in the sense of comparing sort of playing music to it but to you know tilt control but that really is um not the the greatest advice for a rec player you know considering that they probably are looking for an answer it's like quick fix but i don't think that you know, having strong tilt control and being able to handle bad beats is the type of thing that you can just say, do this, do that, you know, do the breathing, do meditation, do yoga. I'm I'm not sure any of those things. I think you just have to keep playing and play through it. And eventually you just hit this level of volume where nothing that happens kind of surprises, shocks you and, you know, sets you up to, to experience tilt. So hopefully you find that interesting, unique, Maybe not extremely helpful, particularly for the players that have already played for a long time, but for those that haven't been playing for a really long time, over the years, over enough games, over enough hands, with enough volume, I think you really will just see that your tilt control will improve and your level of frustration with um, getting, you know, getting bested by the worst of it sometimes, that'll that'll slowly um, subside. So, thanks a lot.